0: Well, uh, before I get started with uh, some, you know, random, exciting, hopefully not salacious introduction, I just want to, from the beginning, so I, I'm here in uh, in London. Now, I'm I'm on this street called Piccadilly, which, or I don't know, I'm near Piccadilly Circus. I, I still, even though I've been here many times, I just don't believe that's a real word. Like, I mean, <laughs> that like, like the only other word that I think is, is related to that is, um. If you're over there in Louisiana, uh, they've got the, uh, what do they call it? The new, the new Picayune Times or something. And those, those, those can't be words. Piccadilly and Picayune. I just, I don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. I want them to be words, but I just, I don't think that we live in a cool enough reality where those can actually be words. So, anyways, uh, I'm over here and I brought my, um, My uh, Apogee mic 94K, which I used to use to record this before. I did the uh, all days DevOps. I don't know. They somehow cleverly title it so they don't get Bridget upset over there at DevOps days. Maybe it's all DevOps, all day DevOps. Anyways, and they sent me a nice Yeti mic, which I use now. But here's the problem is I've got the Apogee mic 94K. It works perfectly. uh as as your sound card might after you install it but i forgot to bring a tripod and so every now and then i'm holding it here cuz i didn't want to just use my airpods so you might hear uh you might hear like the me rubbing up against the cord like like this you can probably hear that even though i can't and uh, so every now, i i figured i figured we would sacrifice listening to my cord every now and then for better audio quality versus me speaking into a tin can and accidentally dialing fiji with my ear pad and my, my air pods. Oh, man, I've got some sort of like dirty South accent when I say air. That's that's no good. I need to work on that. Be more genteel. You know, I was asking someone over lunch because we we're over here. There's apparently uh, people getting married. I don't know. Someone's father is really upset about something. Is what I can gather from the free newspapers. And I was trying to find out because I was talking with someone and, uh, you know, as as I jokingly will say, you know, I'm a, I'm I'm a thought lord. And I was thinking like, well, what is the the non-gendered term for like lord? Because you have for for kings and emperors and empresses and queens, you can say monarch, right? And I think you can say regals, but the, I'm pretty sure there's a word for like not a commoner but not a king and whatever that that class is. And I suggested a uh what was it like the landed gentry like i think that's what they are but then you don't want to use gentry because there's gentrification and then you're just back in the same muck that you were in but there there must be a word for that like do you do you uh you have that accessible in
1: your your ram yeah i was just wondering though i thought lord could be used both for men and women um yeah oh i, I, I see I, a quick you no know, I have learned here, uh, through the powers of the internet, uh, the equivalent for women is lady. The lady. Which, yeah, so it'd be like, uh, like Lady Gaga, I guess is the first one that came to mind. Yeah. I guess that is sort of, uh, although it does not seem to have the same, uh, ring. I mean, maybe it's been lost in no. translation over the years a little bit, but yeah, I guess technically the female equivalent is lady, which, which, yeah, I think, I think, I think the, doesn't seem uh, very
0: I, good. I think, I think they got kind of built on that. I mean, like, Lady doesn't mean anything lordish nowadays. In fact, it's almost just more mockingly used. Whereas Lord, I mean, that's the Lord, right? Like, I mean, maybe there was some time, but somehow, man, you just can't win. Or, or yeah, I guess I should yeah. say you. The 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 women can't win. Even even
1: their honorific title gets uh, yeah papered down into a joke. Yeah, just to make sure we we don't leave anybody uh, confused here. So Lord, you know, literally means a uh, ruler or sovereign master, and then Lady is the female equivalent. Can be used by an unmarried woman, woman in her own right, so I guess if you're just a woman of power, you can use it yourself, or by the wife of a man with the title "Lord, Baron," or Sir." So that even, look at that even kind of that doesn't even work out well. You only get I mean, men get three possible titles there. It looks like women just just have to get stuck with the verse, this lady.: I mean, so. I, mean I
0: guess yeah, so you have a baron, you've got an earl, uh-huh. and, and, and you, could, you wouldn't call them the sovereigns, because again, I think that's what you would call the king or the emperor as as you mm. do like hmm. but man i feel like there must be a word that is just <laughs> the uh the non-gendered uh nobility
1: noble i guess you could say noble hmm. uh, yeah, uh yeah that's true you could do that but they have uh, i guess they have updated a couple things over there uh, in london where you are right because is in um <laughs> is it the sister of uh is it who's the son the kid, like the like, anyway, he has a sister now. Anyway, normally he would have, uh, she would have got like jumped over in succession, but now like there is a like they changed the laws, right, so that the uh, sister right. could become queen. So there's, I mean, they're slowly updating the the rules. So I don't know, maybe maybe someone should take up the issue of lord and just be like, hey, this can just apply to men and women, just be done with it. You don't, you know, we can get rid of the we can get rid of the lady designation, just retire that one. Yeah,
0: yeah. So you know, I was telling him I was a uh, a thought lord. And uh, and I was wondering, like, what the generic term, you know, th- I, I love being in London. It's nice. I, there was some, I don't know what's going on over here, though. There was some event yesterday, and uh, there were a bunch of women really, wearing really fancy hats that were, like, uh, at a 45-degree angle. That seems to be a thing mm. they do around here. And I noticed, subsequent to that, I should have taken a picture, but on one of the uh, the cabs that they had here, they had an ad on it. And it was interesting. It was an ad for, like, I don't know the ascot horse races or something and it was an interesting i i thought as i'm doing now way too much about it so in the background kind of blurred out where like horses racing and in the foreground looking towards you right so they're not watching the horses are two uh in the modern uh contemporary meaning of it two ladies uh who were standing there and they were wearing the fancy hats you know the you've got it's sort of like like uh it's like a tiny little like uh tea saucer with like some flowery stuff coming out of it right like that's the kind of fancy hats they have and one of them was just kind of standing there and the other one was like looking directly at the at the the other one's hat and it was it w- it got me thinking like is this like some very clever advertising that's like hey uh i know you really don't want to see horse racing cuz you're not like some cigar chomping old person old man who like sits in the bathtub and reads the the what is it the racing news or, or whatever but you know you're going to show up here and like what it's really all about is like who's got the best fucking hat right <laughs> and you're almost like signaling that that it's like a it's an excuse to wear a hat and and i, I can only assume that uh that you know everyone's looking for an excuse to wear an awesome hat it's kind of like i would like an excuse to wear one of my three seersucker suits uh but it very rarely comes up if at all.
1: Right. Well, that goes hand in hand with like the Kentucky Derby, right? So if uh yeah, if your if your lady is wearing a hat, that may be a sign that you could wear the uh the seersucker, right? Ooh, Get I like out there, break it out and just go go crazy with it. So,
0: this is like we got to we got to call up the editor of Esquire cuz I think that is one of those flow charts in their magazines. When <laughs> is it appropriate to wear a seersucker suit? Absolutely. That, that's good. That's good. Huh? Huh? Well, uh, so speaking of, I am here in London. Uh, you know, I I I, uh, I like to debrief people on the international travel. I took the, uh, I forget which flight it is, some British air flight, not some. It is the British air flight that goes direct from Austin to uh, London. And uh, there's a little advice here for those international travelers here is typically they've got a brand new jet. It's got nice leather seats. I mean, you know, there's still coach seats uh, if you're flying coach but they're nice and they've got like outlets and usb chargers and and uh, TVs the whole uh the whole lot but somehow we ended up on uh a very old uh flight and i was listening, there were some people talking on the jet bridge like have you you've probably been on the um i don't know have you ever been on that jet bridge that goes to the ba flight at austin yeah of course i've taken
1: it several times
0: yes oh, it's so long and but they yes. they have good jokes about it it's funny i i forgot how long it was which is fine. It's just, like, long. And uh, there were some people talking in the jet bridge. And I, I overheard them talking. They were like, oh, this one still has the, uh, the upper deck on it. Or, or that one still <laughs> has the upper deck on it. And he was like, oh, I'm pretty sure they stopped making those, like, 10 years ago. <laughs> and, and then they looked it up. And they were talking about it. And I was thinking, like, no, this is going to be that sweet jet with the new leather seats. So they must be talking about their their next flight that they're going on. But sure enough, we went on this old... It had it had, Brandon, get this. It had uh it had fabric seats.
1: Oh my gosh. Were you okay? Yeah, How, did yeah. Was there like an uproar
0: in the back? Oh, it was fine. It was fine. But the my TV didn't work. And uh well it turned on, but you could never like select anything. Which it was good <laughs> because I didn't have to see that ridiculous video. It's not ridiculous. The first time you see it, it's fun, but I didn't have to see the safety video with like the uh the wizard and the willow guy in it. And, uh, yeah. and and Agent Scully, uh, which is that part with her, and it's pretty funny. But anyways, yeah. I don't know. Would you have complained about the TV, or would you be like me and just sort of like stayed in your hole?
1: Mm, probably not. I probably... Because I just find... I guess it would, you know what, I would have made me mad at is if I had looked in the, uh, you know, the entertainment guide, you know, in the back of the at magazine and there was some movie I wanted to see. Then I would have, I don't know if I would have complained, but I would have just maybe looked around and be like, hey, is there another seat I can jump in, you know, just see. Um, but yeah, I don't know. But, you know, I, I find that really only good for a couple movies. And I usually come on armed with an iPad with uh, some of my own entertainment ready to go. So oh, I, yeah. I'm usually okay about that. Huh.
0: Huh. Well, that's good. Well, I slept a little bit and read the 2004 classic E3 introduction to enterprise architecture. So <laughs> I, I was, I was set there.
1: I mean, now that is a page turner for, <laughs> right. you know, if you're looking to make a flight go by fast, you crack that book and you're there.
0: A a book, a book that if you look at the two page index, I believe does not contain the word agile in it. So oh, that, okay. that tells you a lot okay. about what's going on. Old there. school. All right. Yeah. Old school indeed. Well, uh, before we get to the weekly Kubernetes uh, news, you want to tell people uh, who, who has brought them this episode other than ourselves? I,
1: I do. This episode is sponsored by Datadog, a monitoring platform for cloud-scale infrastructure and applications. You can sign up for a free trial at www.datadog.com. And this week, Datadog wants you to know about their upcoming conference named DashCon. It's going to be in New York City. On July 11th and 12th and you can register at Dashcon.io and I was looking a couple little tips about Dashcon one on the website Dashcon.io where you can uh, actually register they have done something I have not seen other places and I like it is they have a uh, entire section here what's called justify your trip you need to click on like they have pre-written an email for you where you can just cut and paste uh, what's going to happen, what you're going to learn. So I feel like this is this comes up all the time. It's like, hey, can someone send uh, the justification? Or if you're in a, a larger environment, you may have an entire system where you actually have to submit some justification. So I love the fact that they've uh, taken the work out of that. And also I looked at like, you know, I always interested in where these things are at. So it's in New York, but it's this place called Spring Studios in Tribeca. It is not a hotel. It looks like, uh, I don't know, just kind of like an unusual studio event. Um, I know, Cote, you spend a lot of time in various hotels. There's, what, the Dolphin and the Swan down in Uh Orlando. There's Las Vegas, all of Las Vegas. The Venetian, we love it. Moscone Center, we love that. So it's nice to get out. So I think this is going to be different. So I hope you enjoy it. There's lots of good uh, things there. So, again, go to DashCon dot io sign up and as always tell them your friends that software defined talk sent
0: you yeah there's not that many conferences in new york that i go to that's it, that'd be a fun place to go to a conference it's nice you got it's uh it's uh i don't know what i think i think the transfer from the airport situation is pretty good they they, they still they have like a flat rate on taxis right if you want to live like an animal and uh take a <laughs> cab but I, I I think I think that's uh it's a pretty good setup there. And then especially if yeah, it's you can walk around everywhere. And you know where else is a fun place to go is Minneapolis. So you got your uh July twelfth and thirteenth. Now that's those that's a calendar date in twenty eighteen. And then that day they're gonna have DevOps Days Minneapolis, all sorts of good events. I was talking with uh uh a fellow vendor uh re- earlier today and I was asking them if they go to DevOps Days. And I was telling them places they should go. And they're like, oh, I heard the Minneapolis one is good. And I said, yes, yes, it is good. You should go to that. Uh, so, yeah, there'll be there'll be all sorts of good events curated together. There'll probably be some, uh, some good food. If you go there, I don't know the name of the place, but look up this place that you can go to to get a deconstructed hot dish. <laughs> and uh, you should order the lamb one. And my advice to you is do not eat the sheep testicles. They are not going to be good. Yeah, that's... That's my that's my new thing that I tell people nowadays, uh, as I've been traveling a bit more going international is people often ask, like, uh, what do you eat or what do you not eat? And I tell them I will eat anything except testicles, uh, which generally is true. And, and liver has to be prepared a special way. But in general, I don't want organs, but especially I don't want testicles. That never turns out well. So you should go there uh, and not eat the testicles. Uh, to July 12th and 13th, uh, DevOps days Minneapolis. And if you use the code SDT2018, and we'll put this in the show notes, you can get uh, 20% off your ticket and have a good time there. It'll, it'll be fun. So speaking of, you know what they'll probably be talking about uh, about both those conferences is Kubernetes. I have no idea. You think yeah. so?
1: You think it'll come up?
0: <laughs> they'll be, I think, I think, I think maybe, uh, I don't know, are we over the, uh, you know, I've even forgotten, what's the phrase that we're supposed to be? Use? Observability. Is observability still a thing? Do, people, do the kids still talk about that? I think they I, do. I think, okay, I think they're okay. into that, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know they're into it. I just haven't been in the right places. I haven't heard that word in a long time. Let's say two months, maybe. <laughs> uh, it's and still so out there. I'm, okay. I'm just, I'm just uh, no pun intended, trying to monitor the popularity of it. So I'm sure you'll have some observability. You'll have some Kubernetes and containers. And uh I think I think I think this this week there's been a lot of fun uh what would you call it? Kubernetes analysis. There was some funding of this company I hadn't heard of, Upbound. That that was that was exciting. They're gonna do uh they're gonna do some multi cloud management. They got nine mil eight people got nine million dollars <laughs> from uh Google Ventures. Now, no, it's no, a great. It's, uh,
1: it's a, it's officially GV now. Yes, I don't know if yes. you caught that. I was like, oh, okay, that's good. Glad, glad they shortened that. that it was yeah. Google Ventures was too taxing for us.
0: Yes, All, also for those who uh, suffered through several semesters of learning how to do close readings, if you, if you read this article, uh, they hyperlink the phrase "lingua franca" in case <laughs> you were left wondering what the fuck does that mean. I don't know what you just said. What, what language of common usage is that from? Uh, so you can go over to Wikipedia and find that out, but you know, I, I think, I think it's, uh, I don't know whatever exciting minus one is it's, it's further evidence of this trend of like, uh, Hey, there's all sorts of fun work to do under around, around, uh Kubernetes. And, uh, here's here's some belief in uh some other folks these eight people in seattle who are going to do something exciting and it seems like i forget if it was on this podcast or with someone else but uh yeah I, I mean i think i i think we'll see but it feels like what often happens in the funding and m&a market is once there is a um a transaction like red hat buying core os and I don't know, maybe to a limited extent, like pivotal IPOing. Once the corp dev people see a way of val- putting a valuation on these things, it allows them to one more, more easily do their spreadsheets and figure out what's valuable. But then also more from an investment standpoint, uh, in, in the investor community or VCs or whatever, it sort of brings up the, um, uh, we need to invest in this. We talked about this, this basket of things. So hopefully for those kids of you out there, who are working on Kubernetes things? Uh, there'll be a lot of VCs who are out there, and they need to put some uh, some money on the board, and and you can benefit from that. And then also, I think uh, did did I read this right that they're basically going to be the uh, your favorite? They're going to be the DCOS for all the DCOSs.
1: <laughs> you did. It was uh, it was uh, reminds me a little bit of managers of managers. You oh, know, yes. it's uh, it's all uh, consoles all the way down. But I do think you know this this week and I, I don't know if it was just sort of there was a lot of conferences and a lot of news in the last few weeks and sources and even the, and what makes hot takes great right is just when we start to conflict with each other like everybody's just sort of like arguing politely um, about all of this and so um, and I think this funding was sort of very it's not necessarily a hot take in itself but it was sort of uh, as you kind of alluded to right there is that like yeah it's going to be the GCOS of the all the GCOSes and it's sort of like It it, it kind of just like to me is sort of like where the whole market is. It's like we have all this stuff happening. It's not really clear what everyone's working towards, right? But there's like a million different opinions about what should happen. And uh, so that's why this week I think a bunch of people were like, oh, we had a bunch of news. I'm going to like write my opinion down. And then, of course, you know, the VCs are just going to kind of fund everything in a couple of years it'll kind of make sense to us to be like oh yeah we'll either say this like whole idea was stupid this multi-cloud dcos of you know dcos is like oh it just made no sense it was too complicated or it'll be more like oh yeah it didn't make sense actually that's kind of what you know we were working for and we didn't really know know that was happening at the time
0: yeah 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 which is all great and healthy right hail and hearty uh yeah and and know and, you're reminding me of some uh some sort of like, uh, what would you call it? What goes on behind behind the curtain? I hadn't thought about this way, but we had like KubeCon was last week, right? Did I get that right? Yep. And yeah. so yep. I remember back when I did this kind of work, the the ana- I would do the analysis pieces the week after the event, right? So like you're at the event and not that I was a filer, you know, since I was an analyst. As, as Stephen O'Grady was fond of saying, uh you know we're in the business of writing good things that are smart not publishing immediately uh and and you know that would allow me i would i would say that to myself as you know two months later i click the publish button because i had time (laughs) to to cogitate as it were uh but anyways like now that does sort of make sense right because you're at the event uh if you are you're covering it and you're writing the news things and then you know you have the weekend and really like I mean if you're if you're producing content about the tech industry you should not be working on Friday. That's a day that you get paid not to work on. I think, you know, you check your RSS feeds, you might have to answer some email, file some expenses, but you really shouldn't be working on Friday. No one cares. That's when you uh you get the 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 wacky uh sort of uh what do they call those? Your weekend pieces. Anyways, so then the next week you come in and you write your analysis piece, like that uh, that one from the TechCrunch guy about how uh, what is it the uh, oh a startup ecosystem develops in its wake. But yeah, yeah, I, I think I think that's 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 why you did generally see analysis stuff happen afterwards. Because also, so then you also have the uh, as we used to call them influencers. The uh, well, so you have the regular industry analysts, and they're just not going to publish anything for several weeks because it's got to go through the the PDF proof checking in there your peer review and all that responsible bullshit. But then you might have the people who are like the red monk people or the analysts who blog, but then they're going to be out like eating and drinking or uh, hiding out from everyone at night and they're not going to work. So you got like a look <laughs> to get your, your analyst, uh, your analysis in there. And uh, you know, so, so one, I was thinking maybe it's not so much a DCOS of DCOS is it's a Kubernetes of Kubernetes. I think is, is, is what you end up with uh, to, to, to go with mom there. Um and yeah and then speaking of like uh insidery stuff. So if you do read that TechCrunch thing, let's see who wrote who wrote that. Probably the guy who does their infrastructure stuff. But it's a good uh Ron Miller. Yes. One of the more simpler named people's over there at TechCrunch. But <laughs> he's got his his beats pretty good. But I was reading through that and at first I was skeptical because that's the way I am, I guess, but I realized that you know, I used to write um to continue this episode, that is a monologue of Kote stories. Uh, I used to, uh, when I was working on on strategy, uh, I would get these emails that had been sent at like three or four a.m. and it would say, uh, "Could you tell me about this thing?" And you know, it's just it was one of those infamous one line emails from three or four a.m. that you get from people. And so our job would be, uh, me and me and Prabhakar, often if you remember him. Uh, we would come in, uh, in the morning and we would need to send this email out by let's say 11 and at first, well, then you got to send it to the, your boss who then proofs it and sends it to your boss's boss. But this, this article is a good representation of about a third of what's in those memos, right? So you read this article and I think, I think he takes the position that Kubernetes is a thing. I think that's kind of what you end up with. Uh, now, so it, it has it has a good read of like what you would have in that memo. And the other two thirds things are basically like, uh, I don't know, you need some more charts and shit, right? Like you got to have some market <laughs> some sizing, and some some charts, yeah. maybe some survey results, like what you would have pulled. And, and I guess writing these memos is the basis of a lot of my uh, complaints about tech news, right? Like what you could have done is you could go search for uh, the CNCF surveys and Cloud Foundry Foundation surveys and a few public press releases from 451 to get the container market size. Like if you didn't actually have IDC and Gartner access, which actually wouldn't be that much better, but you would throw those numbers in there and be like, here's the market sizing and CIO sentiment for buying this. And then the third thing you would have uh, would be an actual recommendation of what to do, right? Like what action should we take or not take? Uh, So that's a good template if you want to write those 3am memos. (laughs)
1: <laughs> for all those who are out there, yeah. just waiting. If only there was a format for this memo. That I, 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 that I mean, I mean, I'll, write I'll, was, I'll throw that's out. That's been requested at three a.m. I'll, I'll throw so out I'm, a special
0: I'm, offer for listeners. If you ever want me to send you a one-line email asking uh, for for you to write me a memo, and you, I, I'll, I'll set up a scheduled uh, email thing that sends it to you at three a.m. and by eleven the next day, just you can send me. It a reminds
1: memo. me. <laughs> but isn't it the uh it's a variation of the uh the jeff bezos uh just the one character question mark email oh, that's that he right sends. exactly which is like which is always i always think it's so funny it's like if i sent you know that's always the, the fun example it's like let's say i sent a question mark email to my coworkers of any kind uh-huh uh i don't think they would read one, they wouldn't even do anything, I think. That would probably be most likely. But two, I think they would come over and, like, check on me, be like, hey, are you okay? Did you, like, hit that by accident? Like, it's always, like, it's funny. It's like, this; these aren't, like, good email practices. It's just yeah. the fact that people have a lot of power. I always wish we could shortcut that. It's like, yes, when people have a lot of power, they can send weird emails, but really, it's not a good idea. And if you are lucky enough in your life to become some, such a person, to accumulate lots of powers like d- just don't send those emails like it's yeah. just, just try to remember just there, be a there, normal person
0: there there should there should be a uh, when you go take that that Clayton Christensen class uh in your MBA school and he's like like he wrote about this in one of his books he's like I I think there's about 15 people who are my students who are now in jail and he had <laughs> he has one lecture yep, where he's like don't be one of those people <laughs> like, yeah like let let's talk about you not going to jail and i and i think also in that one that one class he should say also uh don't ever send a corporate email that you wouldn't send to your uh, spouse or partner like like because i'm pretty sure if i just sent an email with the question mark to kim there would be problems and and so like you know you should assume that you're writing this email to uh to to your your partner as they say now of course you should also make sure that there are no pictures of you without your clothes on. So we got to, for all the wise asses out there, we've got to demark that, you know, because you might email. I, would you email that? That doesn't seem like something that no. is emailed. No, hmm. I would okay. not, I would not.
1: But just to like, you know, so everyone can. Oh, I don't if so you, you, I just, I just mean no, no. one. No, no, no one would. But I was going to say, the, the book from Christensen, if you want to read that, is uh, How Will You Measure Your Life? Where you spend That's your right. Entire- you, I think your summary is actually very adequate, which is like, don't go to jail. And then now, uh, since you and I won't be writing a book on anything like this, we're just going to say, yeah, just don't, just so you said, just don't send those emails. You just don't have to. And then if for some reason in your life, you've become the kind of person that is profiled by like, you know, business writers. And then in those articles they write, they like, they call out your email philosophy and, and they they look at the the question mark email and they kind of say like it's a good idea and it's something that helps you lead the culture. If you find yourself that being the person that has had that article written about, that would be like a wake up call. would be like, wait a minute, this is nuts. Like people are like, I'm sending a one character email and people are, are are actually talking about how it's a good idea. That would be another clue to be like, whoa, wait a minute. Like wait maybe things like went off the rails a little bit. So just, you know, keep those ideas in mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Don't be the person who invents the hashtag. That that you don't want to be that person.
1: don't want to do that but i do think on the kubernetes stuff it's like as i was making my way through the hot takes like i think kind of like three things have like emerged right around this whole idea it's like kubernetes is clearly like one this orchestration thing which is not news right but the word kubernetes now is like you need to separate it from like what it actually does the idea that like that that word is now going to be the proxy for for data center operating system, right? That's sort of what Mm. people... I've said this before. It's like, that is clearly a trend now. That's what people want it to be, right? That's what all these... And as you kind of go through and you pick through like this new announcement from Unbound or Mesosphere or even the various projects, it's like we can't remember like Istio and all the other projects that are happening. It's like Kubernetes for the, for even the moderately educated cloud native person is like shorthand for like the entire thing, right? It's sort of like you could make the equivalence, I think, here to OpenStack at this point. It's like the vision of Kubernetes, that word, has become much, much larger collectively, right? And so that's why, you have that kind of happening, right? It's like people are saying that's what they want. And then there's like kind of two Mm. other takes that are coming out, right? There's like the take that it's way too complicated, right? So that's why all these companies are being funded to make it simple. So that's like one camp. Uh Then the other camp is we already have all of this. Like it's just rewriting to rewrite. Like there's an article this week aptly titled Is Kubernetes Too Complicated, right? Where he basically, the gist of it is Like, you know, we're just, you know, gold plating, right? You're just rewriting to rewrite because that's what people think. So that's sort of the other take is like, this is just, so there's like those two camps. And then I think I'm going to call like this third camp, like, you know, almost like way off to the side, but sort of later is the serverless crew who are just like, forget this. This is, this is way, way too complicated. And you're thinking about it totally wrong. So you have these, these three kind of factions or ideas like, competing with each other, right? It's like, what Kubernetes is now? Like, what the project should be? What people think it should be? What the VCs are actually invested in, right? This whole data center operating system notion. And then the other people who are like, it's still... Too complicated and we're gonna make it all simple and serverless is gonna fix the world. And that's sort of like to me, if we're making like a stew, it's like all that's in the stew, and it's just I don't know, it's just real it just looks gray. It's just real complicated right now. We're not so sure anything's gonna good gonna happen, but um I don't know, and this is what I think is playing out over the next twelve to twenty-four months. Mm.
0: Yeah, I was I was talking with someone who uh who uh lived through the the Linux wars. If you remember that, and he said he would uh, he would go he would go visit like banks for example, way back when I guess this is maybe the early two thousands or late nineties, and they would say like oh it's 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 great that you came in here he's working for a Linux vendor, because you know uh, for for the uh, the uh, the uh, transfer division, uh, you know we the 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 kernel that they've been compiling it uses we're trying to figure out which scheduler we should compile into the uh, the kernel and and of course you know the joke being there like why the fuck would you ever compile your own kernel and right? but he was he was kind of rightly saying is like oh yeah that's what everyone did back then right like and and it sort of makes sense like you have you had just had you had the height of like the uh what's the guy's name the the church and bazaar guy you had the height of the apostles of eric what's his face and Stallman just sort of like going on about this open source thing and how open source is this that and the other so you would sort of assume that the whole thing you should be doing especially if you're a big fancy bank is you get your source code and run your make files and like that's the thing that you do and uh and of course even at the time the guy was like well this is clearly madness right like you should not be doing this but I don't know it sort of makes sense that uh at at that stage you would be sort of compiling your own kernel and I, and it seems like you see a fair amount of that, of like you have to assemble these things together, or I wouldn't even say have to. People feel as if they should assemble their own things and customize it. And I think that's probably also where a lot of the uh the kind of rants like our uh uh is Kate's too complicated fellow come in. I like that one because it's like a it's like a uh it's like a slow simmer. It like seems very <laughs> rational and normal at first, and then he does he unfortunately doesn't have an, any animated gifs in there that I remember, but you know he essentially is just like all of a sudden has the animated gif of a table flipping, and he's like, <laughs> "Fuck this shit, I'm switching to a different mode," and then he just like shits all over everything. I think it's a he. I apologize if it's not, but then they uh, they just kind of go ape shit, which which <laughs> is uh, they kind of they they kind of trick you into that. It's very lulled, slightly boring, and then all of a sudden he just gets the the person just gets really upset. And I always like a blog that has footnotes. That's charming.
1: <laughs> well, I do think that dovetails nicely to this other topic that I, I thought was – that was sort of not related but related. This idea somebody wrote about this like developer advocate wars, right? Mm. And uh, kind of the rise – I don't know if it's a rise, but it's definitely been you know a lot more popular. I feel like developer advocacy – it's been around for a while, but I think it suddenly has the focus of lots of lots of different people, and what he goes through is he, he basically talks about all the different people that are building out advocacy teams and like a lot of if you listen to this podcast, you'll recognize a lot of the names that people moving around and what they're doing. but you know I guess it goes back to your old Red Monk days right where you know the developers really are are driving the choice, but you know as I think about that a lot of times, I'm always like, well what are the developers? uh, really thinking about when they actually make these choices. Cause I think a lot of times Mm. we think of advocacy around like, you know, you're going to kind of convince somebody kind of back to the scheduler of the kernel, you're going to walk in and explain to someone something about this technology and then kind of demonstrate right? Exactly why yours is better. And that's sort of like, cause the developer advocacy always wants to be distance itself from marketing, right? It's like, no, 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 this isn't marketing. We're here to like talk real stuff and we're going to show you why our stuff is better. But really what I think advocacy is today is more just education, right? Cause it kind of comes back to so many of these systems probably provide similar functionality. But if we just think about human beings in general, if I'm going to solve a problem, I want to to probably solve it using the tools that I know. Like the worst thing is like when you have to like learn a whole new framework or a whole new set of tools to fix anything. And I think that's kind of like what's happening in this advocacy world, right? Is it's mostly about I'm just going to spend a couple hours, half a day, a workshop with you, so that you get really comfortable with the tooling and the framework of the solution that I'm talking about. And because the idea is that you'll be educated on that. And then that way, when you go back to your office, it isn't so much like you're gonna you know we'll just say config management. It's not like you're gonna go spend like a couple days or a couple weeks like trying all the config management tools yourself and kind of figure out which is better you're you're gonna gravitate to the one that you're like, oh, I did a seminar on that or I did a, a couple labs. I feel pretty good. I could do something. I'm gonna grab that and do it, um, which I think is interesting, right? because that's really I don't know, like when you crack that open and you say, it's really about education. And then two, I always like to look at other things, other industries and you know, popular media. It's just, it's just sort of like, well, why does everyone want to learn Kubernetes? It's like, well, because kind of all the friends know it, right? It's like the popular thing. So it's not, it's not that it's like definitionally better or worse. It's just it's really popular. I'm gonna learn it because everyone else knows it. And that's what makes it better. Not the fact that it actually was necessarily technically better. Um, but I think this is something that we don't think about when you think about like developers, I think everyone kind of tricks themselves into thinking, no, no, I actually went out and I just learned the best one because it's technically mm. the best. And it's like, yes, no, it doesn't really work like that. It's never, it never really works like that. Even if you think it works like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There, there's uh, I love those, uh, those matrix spreadsheet with capabilities and uh, you might have uh, they're not Bucky balls. What are those Harvey balls? If you're really <laughs> fancy, you'll have some Harvey balls in there. And if you're not familiar with the Harvey ball, uh, you should go look it up because it's it's a good visual. Uh, Consumer Reports uses Harvey Balls. You have basically an empty circle. uh, And I guess it it's a five-point rating system because an empty circle can be a state. Then you have a fourth filled-in circle, a half filled-in circle. You can guess what happens next, all the way to a full filled-in circle. And so you use the Harvey Balls to represent, you know, one to five stars. Uh, If, if you're not fancy, you just would put a number in there. And then you've evaluated the framework you should use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that stuff is yeah. bullshit. That,
1: that, well, and that, I do think, you know, the place you can see this a lot for the development community is is really editors and IDEs, right? Like, I think, yeah. like, VI and, and Emacs continue to be very dominant. And if you think about it just objectively, if you're starting from, for, from today, right, it's unlikely, like, someone would be like, yeah, that's the perfect editor. Like, that is exactly what everyone wanted. We would just recreate it. But... I think everybody knows, like, once you know one of those tools really well, it's like, yeah, you don't want to switch, right? Like, because, like, you're just the investment. So, yeah, you're always just going to gravitate towards going back. And I think in a world maybe, like, one level up for business people or, you know, whatever, middle management or... Or whatever it is that I do. It's like it's more like this PowerPoint versus keynote. It's like really, mm. they're fine. They're both fine. You can use them. But once you know all the hotkeys and you can like format your tables and center everything. Um, you know, you just don't want to switch. And I think that's so that's why I think, you know, back to like developer advocacy, it's really developer education. And it's like, can yeah. I quickly and I think this is about like where people don't spend, this is probably a rightfully an area where, you know, there probably are way too many, like kind of thought leader white papers and you know like uh, in, uh animated videos that kind of are always talking about the problem because it's like so prevalent and like product marketing education is like talk about the benefit and and how you're solving problems and all that but like you get so much of that and there's just like at some point it's like you know what i need to do i need to actually like learn how to do the thing mm. uh that i'm trying to do because that's what's going to push it forward and i think that's where you know, people want to just call that developer advocacy. And when you read a lot of those blogs, it's usually like how to's, right? Like, okay, download this, run this command. They're kind of bland, but if you're doing it and you're learning it, it's exactly what you want. So as you kind of think about all these developer advocates and, you know, there's a lot of talk about conferences and all of that stuff. That's fine. I mean, they're important, but really what's important I think is like, if you're going to embark on that is like having the education that gets people when they leave, hey, they can go out and actually, like, quickly do the task, and they're going to want your tool better. And I think this is where, you know, obviously Amazon has a huge um, lead in cloud. That's not news. But, you know, people always say, like, if you want to look for, like, weakness, I think when we're at a lot of these conferences or amongst developers, people will often cite Google as still say some like, clean APIs, really good documentation. You know, they don't ever really say... Oh, that Kubernetes cluster was better or whatever. But there is like a thing like there's like a thread in there when you listen to them talk. And they're just I think what they're saying a lot is like I learned it a little bit easier than I thought it was. And I have a little bit better impression over Google Cloud than I thought I did, Um, which is interesting in that in this world.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think I think so. So one. uh, Let's see. They're, 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 I don't know what the results of the study are, other than my, my hunches and biases. But there, there's an interesting application to be had of all of your like ha- halo effect stuff applied to the theory of developers being kingmakers. And I by no means, having worked at Red Monk am dismissing that notion. That mo- notion is true. I think it's more that there's a lot more going on like for you know the fo- like for example the following like uh a couple years ago when i like looked up the market size of like i don't know java app servers and that kind of stuff it was like a 20 24 billion dollar market so uh i guess like ibm and oracle were really good at developer marketing i don't know <laughs> right but like there was a <laughs> tremendous amount of money spent annually on j2ee servers now you could argue that the way that developer marketing fit in there was initially to win in the mm, late late 90s to have developers be interested in java and then further to have them interested in doing uh, j2ee stuff and then that results in um developers bringing the the sun bea oracle and maybe even well not oracle oracle had some stuff but whatever the bea and the sun and uh, ibm people in to like pitch those web servers at them but there is like there is some there is some spend that is mildly contra king stuff or i guess you could put it another way is that once you're a king it's really hard to kill you off that might be the other way of interpreting it so it would be interesting to look at like how like where, who are the other kingmakers that are there? Because, uh, like another historic analog is you can look at, um, as Red Monk always would, right? You could look at, uh, like the way that Rails, uh, became popular. And I only use that example because I don't know all the new frameworks in the history of them, but it fits exactly the pattern you were saying. Is like there was this, uh, for for people of my generation, there was this famous video, uh, with with old DHH there and he was just demonstrating how quick and easy it was to do a crud application with rails and uh, everyone had seen that video because they they would all comment on the fact that he would like you mess something up and he was like oh uh, i messed that up and he that was included in the video and so that was very effective for like uh getting getting people to really like rails and yet java still made lots of money so there's sort of that that little uh thing but but then again like like the idea of getting up and running quickly with Rails became part of the overall programming culture. And it was really just done, kind of like you're saying, by display demonstrating how easy it is uh, to do this thing in, 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 uh, by actually coding it. And I think there's also like, I mean, is this the case? I think most all effective developer marketing and therefore what advocates do follows the uh the pattern of here is an enemy and i will show you how to slay it right so like <laughs> you you always have like like a problem or something that's bad that you don't like and here's a thing that you can use to not only solve that problem but the ideal one is that it gives you it not only like relieves some misery that you have but it makes you feel like you've accomplished something and like the rails thing is a good example of that right like the enemy was obviously enterprise java and i don't think they even acknowledge the existence of uh, .NET. but it was just like oh ejbs are crazy you shouldn't be doing that and static typing is crazy you should do monkey patching and all this and nowadays what you see from uh i mean i'm not too sure what kubernetes is slaying but it is almost yeah it's kind of but like you know docker is is i mean it kind of comes from the same realm of like it's really hard just to get this stuff up and get a cloud thing up and running on your laptop. Right. Or it's really difficult. Like people are always talking about using like terraform and everything. So I don't have firsthand experience, but it seems like it's difficult to get your shit running in the cloud in, in a reliable, <laughs> quick, consistent way. Right. And, and then it's sort of like, that's a good question. I don't know what the enemy of Kubernetes is. I mean, strategically we talk about it all the time, but if you're a developer advocate, and you go out and you're pitching Kubernetes. Like, who's your enemy
1: that you're having right. people? Well, I think against? it would be. I think it would maybe be kind of said slightly different. It's that if you believe your mission is to build microservices, right? Mm. That's what you want to do, and you've kind of just been hand. You know, you've done like a couple. Like you've done like you know maybe you got two or three, just a handful of things that you know you start to learn that okay wait a minute it got pretty complicated to conv- configure all the servers and like maybe we use containers to make that a little bit simpler but then what we learned was actually figuring out what's going to run where and then how we're going to how all these are going to talk together and like how to schedule it i think what people that's the enemy i think they people are kind of getting caught up in right it's like hey this yeah, is yeah. just and i i think if you kind of go back to like developers in general i think um and kind of your whole point there about Ru- that that Ruby example or Rails examples is, you know, what people want to do is they want to spend the majority of their time on their domain problem. And where mm-hmm. people get frustrated is when they have to like, hey, listen, I'm, I'm building – I'm on my domain problem. I'm building my app or my game or whatever or my service, and I'm constantly distracted because I'm like doing all this framework stuff and it's getting in my way. Like this is where I think enterprise java, right? This is where like the weight of enterprise java it was like, "Wait a minute, I'm always stuck in all these crazy configuration stuff and I don't understand and it's too complicated and it's not providing more value." That's where people that's becomes the opening, right? And then that's where like something like rails emerges. And then, you know, yeah. It could potentially go through the same cycle again. It's like, "Well, actually, for a very small application rails is great, but when you get to a really really large application, you know, actually having some of that other enterprise framework is really valuable, right? So there's always this like trade-off, but it kind of goes back to this learning. Like if you're learning at the beginning, like if you went through the entire Java lifecycle, like we, we essentially did in our careers, like it was, I think pretty much in, popularized as the time that we got into it like we have all the history and knowledge so it's like it kind of grew slowly it's almost like it gained weight very slowly over 20 years and we're like that's fine it's fine it's good like you you knew where all the bodies were buried you never but like somebody coming into it was like listen i was just trying to write a simple app and this thing is now like 17 gigs and i got like an app server and i just like you know i just like and those guys came in through like python and ruby you know and so it kind of plays itself out and i think Uh, And then I think you always get like the two camps. It's like if you live through all the Java stuff and you have all this knowledge, you know, you don't necessarily want to start over in Python or Ruby. There's like a natural thing to be like, it's fine. Right. But then there's like the new crowd who's like, no, it's not fine. And then, you know, this is where this is why I think to some degree, you know, things keep turning over like a new generation comes in. They want to turn over the tooling and the problems are slightly different. And then, you know, then you're on to the next thing. So. I don't know, but i do kind of come back to you know a simple solution to a lot of this because i think what you're hitting on is like sometimes like it's not the subject it's the teacher like i would argue yeah yeah anyone that's a great teacher i think you have some like really some java gurus like on your on your extended tier team right that like and when i say like guys that can stand up and like live code from scratch real problems, real solutions and like kind of like show people how to build an application. Like I don't even, it doesn't matter if it, what it is. It's like when people are doing that and they're bringing you along and you are like totally engaged in learning, I don't think it matters if it's Ruby or Java or Swift or whatever. Like when you leave that environment, you're going to feel like, oh, yeah, like I get it. So I think an easy way for like any management team trying to convince people or a group is to bring in great training and be like, hey, for two weeks. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna like just know this inside and out, um, and that's an easy way to like win over people around some new technology, right? Even if they're sort of skeptical at the beginning.
0: No, no, that's that's certainly true. And I mean, two weeks is a little long, but yes, you you have you have someone come <laughs> in who's a good uh, a good demonstrator, kind of like that slap chop guy, Vince. Like you know, if you have someone who properly demonstrates the product in action and frames the problems that you have, then you're gonna love his nuts. Like it's gonna work out well for you. And I. I and that's kind of a I'm pleased with that analogy because it it is like, you know, I watch those ads, especially that Vince guy, because they're funny. And like a lot of what those uh, barkers, I think that's what they're called, do is they I remember hearing or reading about them is they actually spend a lot of time figuring out their demo. And like, what am I going to do with this slap chop? Right. Like, what would you do? Well, I don't know. You You'd make a salad or like you'd get <laughs> like chopped up nuts. And like and then like I also need to demonstrate that it's really easy to clean it. So, like, I need to figure out the thing that, like, I can slap chop it. And I'm not going to show you how to clean it with, like, the the tuna salad with the mayonnaise because that's hard to clean. But, like, maybe when I slap chop the radishes and then you can just put that underneath the sink and all the radish peels get off really easy so it's easy to clean up, which is never the case. I mean, can you imagine cleaning a a slap chop with, like, that that weird infinite W blade on it? That's got to be really difficult Mm -hmm. if you've actually got mayonnaise on there. But, yeah, you put together, like, a good thing that very quickly – Not to be, I'm not meaning to be cynical about it because it's, I guess, a large part of what my job is in a non-technical way, but you have to show very quickly what it is actually like to use this thing and the problems that it solves and why I always hesitate to use this word with developers, but why it makes you more productive. And I think the way that you framed it makes a lot more sense, which is uh, you really want only business people want to be productive. Or they want other people to be productive because then they create more money and cost less. And an individual wants to be more productive on the things they don't want to work on. (laughs) Like if they want to work on something, how productive they are doesn't matter, right? Because that's what they want to work on. Uh, And I mean, I guess you could argue that if you want to work on five different things, you want to be productive enough that you get to all five of those things. But whatever, that's a nuance. Like you just want to be productive on the things that are nonsense for you. So, uh, when it comes to infrastructurey things, I don't know. You want to be able to deploy your pods or something, but then, but then it gets problematic because then what you find out is the developers love compiling their own kernel, and you're like, what the fuck, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, where does the where does the madness stop? You can't make your own slap chop. You got You got to like just buy it from Vince. He'll solve your problems. And then and then uh, I, I don't know. It's you know, I was gonna add one more thing, and then and then you know maybe we can talk a little bit about serverless before we wrap up here. Uh, Another thing that the, uh, I I think part of why they're called developer advocates nowadays instead of evangelist is uh, in theory, the second part of that title is they go back to the company and they advocate for developers and they tell people like, I go out and talk with the developers and they need this and they go back to product and tell them uh, these things that they should do. And I think there's people who do that. Like, I don't work in the development area, but that seems like a valuable thing that product people would be interested in is uh, these are the people out there who are not the only people, but in addition to your, um, probably your sales engineers and your your product managers, if they get out a lot and talk to people, you've got like your sales engineers and maybe your your sales executives might be a little bit about this, but I would trust the sales engineers, your developer advocates, and yourself as a traveling and itinerant product manager to get a sense of like, How are people reacting to this stuff? Like the actual features and what are things that are coming up for them? And what do we need to address and put in the backlog and things like that? So that's also a function. I think that a good, a fully functioning developer advocate will do for you is the, uh, the advocating. So then, so then just very quickly, uh, so serverless, serverless. So Brandon, my understanding is that I don't need to pay attention to Kubernetes anymore. Because everything's just going to leapfrog to serverless. Is is that is that what you've uh, discovered yourself? Well, there's
1: two there's two good pieces. I guess it's uh, I don't know. Is your colleague Matt Ajay over at because uh, he wrote didn't he write the Register article? So he wrote a pretty good you know I don't know. I think it's at this point it's just he he wrote his typical article, which is which is always good, right? He just basically says yeah that I mean his point is is I'm going to generalize it. It's just basically. Kubernetes and all these things is still stuck in the old way of thinking, right? The mm-hmm. fact that like you have these containers and operating systems and you're still kind of working on that and that really what it all is, is just going you know, to work off like a data or sorry, a, rather an event driven architecture where you just put everything in one of the popular serverless frameworks. And obviously the one he talks about the most is a- Amazon or AWS is Lambda. So, you know, and I think his point is is simple, right? And this is just kind of dovetails the conversation we're just having is that, hey, if you're a developer and you want to, you know, just whatever, build some reservation system or some kind of domain system, it's like you just shouldn't have to deal with any of this stuff beneath the fold, right? Like, mm-hmm. don't worry about any of it. And just essentially put your put your data in there, have it trigger events, and then on that have the various functions called, do what it needs to do, and, you know, and you're done. And so, you know, he quite, I think he quotes some various, uh productivity numbers in there and this kind of comes back to kind of like you know to the developers that don't have any interest uh in compiling their own kernel which is like a whole other subject right around like there are different types of developers and like the levels at which they want to work but like this is almost kind of the highest level where it's like i just want to work exclusively on my domain problem i'm not all that interested in infrastructure at all you know he's really putting forward this vision that yeah it's uh it's all going to be serverless and then it's quickly countered by uh, somebody wrote really basically a retort to it, which was, you know, I'll just say this, like, again, generalizing this entire article just down to one sentence was, hey, that's great. Maybe that will work in the future. But, you know, we're standing and it's not going anywhere. And we got to figure out some way to like take all this client server, lamp, mm. you know, whatever, all the different v- virtual machines that all exist. And I think the VMs is where he spends most of his time. It's like, we got to find a way for all this to work because it's not going anywhere. So the idea that serverless is going to crush anything it's just crazy. Maybe it emerges as a new paradigm, but certainly the current paradigms will be with us for a long time.
0: That that, that was uh that was old Ben Keeps, right? New Zealand's finest. I think. At least uh, so. Who, who wrote that. I think I think maybe uh, for the old timers out there, you might remember the IT skeptic. I think he's he lives in New Zealand too. Let me let me verify this. You've got the uh, the the two poles of uh, New Zealand IT there. You got you got the master of ITel. <laughs> IT skeptic guy, and then Ben Keeps, cloud guy. So uh, so they, they got that going on. I'm just going to assume that Rob England, that's his name. He is, as his websites say, he is the IT skeptic. You ever read that guy's stuff? I, I came across one of his books that I ordered recently, and, man, I had a lot of fun reading his stuff. He still writes, of course, but he was uh, he was right there when it was all happening, being skeptical. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think that's a fair characterization. I don't know, serverless. I think I spent. I there's probably that's probably a little reason why my voice is is hoarse. I was meeting with one of my uh, uh, with this guy John Collins, who's uh, uh I don't know what you would call him, uh, independent analyst. Sometimes work at some firms. He's one. He's one of these. He's one of these uh, successful like analyst people. Who I'm sure there's a lot of people would be like, man, how do you do it? That sounds great. Like he told me he's he's working on a musical about it. Which I read a little bit of it. It was, it was wow. awesome. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He, he wow. had a good point. He was like, I mean, if they can make, uh, Hamilton into a musical <laughs> where one of the scenes is the second conference debating about trade relations with the French, sure. Let's talk about computers. Uh, so, so when you Fair put point. it that way, so, sounds good. Uh, anyways. Yeah. I think I maybe like talked for an hour about like, serverless stuff and and it's just like uh, i i don't dispute the technology of it but it it's it's kind of like uh what was the the it, it's like it's like the kingmakers thing right like it's uh you know it'd be good to have like a tempest in a barrel instead of just like a, a little teacup and and it's sort of like in all the serverless talk and maybe people will uh go over to our slack channel and send me things is like i I never hear an explanation of like how and maybe this is part of like Ben's thing is like, so give me like five regular applications and show me how serverless not only makes it better, but is like such a big deal. Right. Because like like, I don't know, let's say applying for a mortgage like that would be a good one. How does that how does serverless make that better? like just sort of better than what it currently is, which isn't to say it can't, but like it seems like if you're just firing off events that get access to whatever AWS services you have for storage and then and then there are these little events that run your, your little chunk of code and then you need something to like orchestrate and handle all of that. Like, I mean, I guess you could write a mortgage application that was based on like, a loose temporal chain of events firing off? I don't know. Like, it, it seems, I don't know. It, it just seems really weird that, like, it seems like a really good way of, like, packaging up and running things. Like, maybe the analogy is, like, yeah, containers are great, but, like, you should also write the application. Like Like, there's, it's a very small segment. And so, again, I only go over this because technologically it seems fine, but, like, People just get, like, so fucking worked up about it. Like, you got you got everyone's favorite, Simon Wardley, who's basically just, like, I know I said that Platform as a Service was going to take over the internet, but they fucked it all up. So now, I, that it's not that I was wrong about that. It's just that they, that didn't work out. And so now, it's the serverless stuff, and that's going to take over everything. And no one realizes that, like, once, once the enterprises get wind of this, it's just going to, like, change the world. And then it's just, like, uh, you know, Happy Skynet or something, which uh is is a bold prediction but it doesn't like i'm not sure like how it's like a huge step function for the way that people do applications and then and then i'm not sure like how applications would be different i mean and and then i guess the only analogy is like i i assume and i think this is documented that like alexa stuff runs off of serverless so you have an endpoint And you tell Alexa to download a new skill, which is effectively downloading a client. Yeah, yeah, like a client, a little client that calls out to a serverless thing. And then your serverless thing, like, tries to do something for you and inevitably just tells you, like, fuck if I know you want something from the Internet. Uh, (laughs) and, And so, like, but, like, could you use Alexa to, like, apply for and or approve a mortgage? Like, it's just... I don't know. It's just weird that like to put this much credence into what seems like a very small thing. Uh, And so I must I must be uh, I must be wrong about it. And then there's another thing like this is the curse of of being one credit away from being an English major is is uh, our our buddy Matt quotes uh, Simon going on about like the wonders of uh, serverless. And he says, we can't be more than one or two years. I guess you wrote this in 2018. We can't be more than one or two years from Amazon hitting that 2% of the serverless. And then here's where your close reading uh, disease comes in. He has parentheses. And parenthetically, he says, IE, with no comma after IE. I don't know if that's strunk and white. I get confused about that. He says, IE, platform, close parentheses, market. And you're like, okay, so is serverless just what we call the platform market now? Because I think that's what that Latin means. and if that's the case, then sure, I'm all in. all all this crazy <laughs> sauce makes lots of sense. I like it, right. That sounds right. good. Uh, but like I mean I don't I mean that's a lot to like center a critique around, but but sure if if like serverless <laughs> is just like doing platform and, and platform as a service like better, but you still have the notion of like to keep harping on it, I can do a mortgage application and it's got serverless in it. Sure. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> right. But it's not like, that's not like what people, dis- the way they discuss it, like, and I'll, I'll stop myself from r- ranting here or, or as we were talking about before we were recording, whatever it is I do here. uh, Like, uh, it's, it's, it, I mean, I mean, it's like saying that like knees are great or no, it's like saying that thumbs are wonderful, right? Like you learn this in biology that like, I think uh, chimps have thumbs, right? I forget if, uh, I think apes have thumbs and I think monkeys do. But you learn that, uh, that thumbs are one of the big deals that uh, make humans and our, our hairy friends like different is we have these opposable thumbs. And it's sort of like, well, opposable thumbs are great. But like if you had a whole body made out of opposable thumbs, it wouldn't really be anything. So 2% of the all opposable thumb market is nothing. Right. And so, like, you need the whole rest of the body to take advantage of this awesome opposable thumb thing. And I, ju- I just want someone to tell me, you know, how you're going to do the mortgage application, which <laughs> goes to a general. But could
1: principal. you not? But let's go back. Like, yeah, oh, yeah it's yeah. interesting to walk through. Let's just walk through. And be like, okay, say we're building one. So, like, so if we define kind of like a data model, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, this is, you know, we'd start out with like, hey, this is what we need to do a mortgage application, right? So we could have a team and like, we'll just make we'll oversimplify it and be like, there's essentially an application function, right? So it's like, yeah, get some information, collect some information on the internet of, uh, you know, of that looks like this. And then we will call the application function, right? And then it will go in and it will render, like it'll say like application appro- approved or application denied, right? And then uh-huh. from that, right, from that, an event is fired, right? So there's a the little like, you know, event, you know, de- uh, event driven stuff. And then from that, the various other groups that may or may not know each other, right, could be like, yes, on application approved, I need to do some stuff. And they they have a team that maybe, you know, that knows at least about, there's sort of like a shared domain, but then they may go in and be like, well, actually to approve it, we have to do some like KYC stuff and like some other stuff and they'll go out and process that, Right. Um, again, writing cloud functions and then they'll go back and then maybe once that, that happens, another event is fired, right? So, so the idea, right, is that they didn't have to, so what they didn't have to do in that scenario was like write a whole bunch of, uh, write their own microservice, right? Uh, package it up in some set of containers and then throw it in some orchestration system, right? They didn't have to do that. That part, if you will, is taken, is taken care of by the quote magic or the platform, of the, the serverless provider, right? So, so I think the idea would be that like, okay, well, we started today with just like two simple things. We started with just with, as uh, application sent, uh, or sorry, application applied, and then we did approval. And then over time, I think the serverless argument would be like, well, as other teams keep, you know, get adding on, like there's finance, and then there's fraud, and then there's like a whole bunch, like they would continue to just write functions, uh to like process important piece of that of that application yeah, process yeah. for them right so like and they didn't have to like and then this whole layer is abstracted from all of the the orchestration container infrastructure which has essentially been packaged underneath whatever the the serverless provider is so yeah. i mean i think i i all think right, that right. would would work all
0: right so you got you got four let me put my enterprise architect hat on here or 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 uh, let me put something more fun. I'll put my chip Holden hat on. So you got, uh, and and I think nowadays, you know, it could be your, your, your chip Holden and JP hat. I think, I think they're, they're on the same plane there. Do you know, you know, JP was the one who explained three phase commit to me. just blew my mind. It all made sense. He kept going on about three phase commit and I didn't understand it. And one day he was just like, all right, Kote, let's go to the whiteboard. Anyways. uh, So you got like, you got like four components there. One, you're going to need a UI, right? Like, multiple uis for people to interface with it and and that can be stateless right like you could conceivably i don't know what the kids are up to with javascript but i think you could probably get away with like an html file and like a shit ton of javascript to like do a a gui basically so (laughs) so now i'm going to be snarky already we're not doing serverless because we basically have uh, a thick client that we've written in HTML but never mind that don't don't think about that right you might have a mobile app version which is uh, it, it's serverless because it's not on a server it's on your phone but it's definitely uh, software-ish right like so you got a lot going on that but never mind that what what so you got that part now then also what you're saying is uh, so you have these um, discrete functions that take in your mortgage application and they might also take in an additional piece of data and make a decision based on that. So you filled out a Morgan application on your, your, your thick client, whether it's uh you know, whatever the, the animals over in Android land use, or, you know, you got your, your Swift or your HTML or whatever. And, and they fill out their mortgage application and it goes to the actuaries. I don't know how it works, but someone is like, let me check this person's credit and uh, see if they have enough credit for me to give them a loan. So you got one external thing. You're going to compare it to the amount of money that you want. And the result is yes or no, uh, basically. And then of course there's always another result, which is like uh, I'm confused. Get a human involved um, in a workflow thing like this. So that can be an event that you fire off. Then what's required for that, for those kind of things is a third thing is you need to store not only the state of The mortgage application and also the state as it evolves, right? Like here's the, here's what they gave us for the mortgage application and here, oh, maybe this mixes into the fourth. Here are ways we've enriched it or kind of decisions that we have made about it. Yes. We approve them for that because they have enough credit and like the house that they want to buy uh at the end of the day it will probably have enough value that if they default on this we can sell the house and the land and we can not lose too much money like you got to make that analysis too so i feel like you're saying all of those different functions could be discrete pretty much stateless things that just hook up to you whatever your storage is pull the thing out and do it and then you have the fourth thing which is basically keeping track of the entire workflow and Not only what needs to happen next, but who can do what next and who needs to do something next and the kind of the authorization for all of that. And equally, you could store that as state somewhere. Um, And then that would be the primary act that the people involved, even the customer would do that. The primary thing that they would do is go to this fourth service and say, what is the current state of the mortgage application? And I would like to take action accordingly. So you call out to your serverless thing and it returns back to your thick client, uh, you know, geographic tax people need to weigh in on this. And if you were the person applying for it, you would say, you would say I'm the person, what's the status of my mortgage? And it would reply back to your thick client, not ready. Uh, and so you could sort of do that. And then that implies the fifth final thing, which is your data store has to be able to like lock basically and be transactional because you, you don't want competing people like writing over it and, uh, and checking things to it. So like, sure, you could do that all serverless, but then there's a lot of stuff that's not serverless, I guess. I mean, one, there's like this whole data store service, which I guess the assumption is that, that you run that through Amazon, so you don't have to run that on your own. And then there's sort of like the way you express rules and do that analysis, which which is fine. And then there's the client interface. And then you've got your transactional thing. So, yeah, I guess you could do things in serverless. I mean, once it gets, I mean, 2% is kind of crazy, but let's say 4%, game's over. <laughs>
1: yeah i don't know i mean i think it's it's one of those things. i guess the question would be like if you're building an application today and you and you were it was maybe something simple to start like it feels like this is a way to start right like some real simple application yeah, yeah, to start yeah. this way and then um and then you know but i think the question then I guess the question isn't so much like how to do it. The question would be at the point where, say, you were like actually a billion dollar bank and you're like, well, wait a minute. Like, I'm, I don't really, to your thing about the database and you know, kind of the infrastructure where I don't have a full understanding. Like, the encapsulation at the beginning helped me because I didn't have to learn it. But now that like I have a billion dollars of loans going through this, like it's really important. It always works. And if it doesn't work, it's really important that I actually know how to fix it that's the part where I think like on the in the software defined talk slack like where I where this seems to come up every once a week somebody's like it's all bullshit it's never gonna work it's like that's the part I think is legit where it's like yeah like if you're the ops guy or whatever SR I don't know any position and like suddenly transactions just aren't processing right applications are no longer processing and you're like well everything I see works, it's like, that's not acceptable, right? That's the point where everyone's (laughs) getting fired. And that's the point where I think people are like, it's almost like in a debugger. It's like, no, I'd like to step through every single line of this code, right? Uh, And I don't want any, like, I don't want any, like, uh, calls out to a lib that I can't see. So that part, I think, is... um, Yeah. I haven't worked that out myself.
0: And and as as always... I don't don't
1: know what you do then.
0: Yeah, as always. I mean, nowadays, they call it, like a sidecar and it used to be monkey patching. And then you could also like do like crazy JVM shit. I mean, usually, and people would call it maybe, I think a shim is a database thing, but tip I, I would imagine what you end up doing in a serverless thing is you like wrap a bunch of things around it so that you're basically like logging what happened so you can replay what was going on. Cause or something like that. I mean, I'm not dismissing the point you're making, right? Cause, because that's obviously a thing, but, but it, it, I mean, given the absurd thing that I just went through with this mortgage application, right? Like, it's sort of like, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where, uh, so hopefully when we reinvent everything this time, it'll work better. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Cause, yeah. Cause like, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck drools is, but I assume that runs a lot of mortgage applications, right? Like, there's just like, this shit is running and it's probably doesn't work because no one gives a fuck anymore. Right. Like, and and yeah. so this is, I don't know. So, yeah, yeah, sure.
1: Serverless. Yeah. I'm all well, for definitely it. the name. I think it definitely, you know, it's one of these names that probably caught fire because it is, you know, it's sort of saying what it's not. But, like, in the end, it's a bad name, right? I mean, I think function seems a lot better. And if you just kind of distill it down yeah, to, like, okay, yeah. we want to make it easier for people just to write functions with, with having a better abstraction so they don't have to know about all, you know, kind of back to like advocacy so they can know less. They don't have to know so much about all those, all the stuff behind the scenes. Like that part I get. And now at the end of the day, is that, you know, is it, does it make it any more simpler or does the complexity always show up? And I think that's really to the point. That's what the the two hot takes are really at. I think Matt Ashley is saying like, he's like, no, it's, this is it. We got it right. And then, uh, the the follow on was like, it's all lies, right? It's like, well, okay, that's, that's also, I mean, like if you've been in tech for a while, like you've been on both sides of that, you're like, yep, I've seen kind of, I've seen it work and I've seen it go really bad. So we'll see what happens.
0: Well, you know, uh, I, I'm, when I'm, when I'm in, uh, uh, Vox days, Singapore, is that, I always get confused. Is it Vox days or Devox days? Vox days. Always days. I, wh- why can't we just call things summits? We need to go back to summits. I thought that was austere. Very nice. We need to have a summit. Anyways, uh, when I go to Vox days in Singapore, it's someone finally accepted my, uh, Kubernetes for the confused talk. So, uh. Uh, don't tell anyone, but I need to figure out what's going to be in that talk <laughs> and write it. But maybe after that, I'll, I'll figure out what's going on with the serverless thing because, you, you know me, I just want a few examples. I just want some some real world examples that don't involve like streaming movies and music and, you know, helping Russians win elections in America, like just some normal, <laughs> boring examples. And maybe those ING people, they seem to always be doing the uh, the fun, boring stuff with the shiny objects we should check in with them see see what they're doing uh well uh because of my uh extensive uh dim whiteboarding verbal whiteboarding of a mortgage application uh we didn't have time to go over the uh the there was actually some really good articles that were written uh, over there in Red Hat land they had uh, Brian Gracely go out and talk with some people about how core os is is being um Mainlined is the wrong word, but how how it's being integrated into OpenShift and Atomic, and uh, as always, as you do, if you're using their existing stuff, then everything's in happy land. But it seems like the various functionalities they have in CoreOS are being injected into their uh, their portfolio of things, and it's it's a particularly as always the uh, anything Timothy Prickett Morgan writes uh is is great i mean if he's writing about like the uh the power uh server line there's certain sections you should just skip over because you don't you don't really need to know the detailed uh market analysis uh that that he does right. of of ibm's you know q3 mainframe revenue uh but <laughs> man that guy that guy's great but yeah, he not
1: but, but on the core OS, i thought brian did a good job i thought brian yeah, yeah. i thought i thought i summarized everything down it's like hey if you like what core does. When well, now it's container Linux. Totally, don't worry. Don't yep. worry. It's going to be here for a long time, and there's a good reason. I, I I was very relaxed after you read it. You're like, you know, that was good. Everything's going to be fine. All right, yep. we can move on now.
0: Yeah, so. no, it's a it's a good write up. We we don't we don't talk about Red Hat stuff very much because I work at Pivotal. Uh, and uh, <laughs> but it was it was good. It's worth worth checking that out. See what's going on over there. You know, they also have, they've got one of these, uh, we know business blogs. I think they call it, I forget what they call it, enterprise something. And it's got good articles on it. That's a fun blog to follow every now and then it's cheesy. Like, you know, five ways to make sure your pencils are sharpened in the office and things like that, but you got to write those every now and then, but in general, they have some good, uh, uh, you know, HBR type of advice on there. Uh, so, uh, whoa. Well, we should do our recommendations. I mean, like I was saying, I'll be... Uh, I was going to be in D.C., but I had to cancel that. So if, if you've planned a trip to D.C. just to see me, I'm sorry. Enjoy the museums. Uh, but I'm not going to be in there more. But uh, like I said, I'll be, uh, I'll be in Singapore on June 1st at Vox Days, at the Vox Days Summit, uh, giving that Kubernetes talk, which will be fun. And then also because I'm in that neck of the woods, I don't know the exact URLs for it, but also that week I'll be in Korea at a, at a meetup. And also, I'll do a meetup while I'm in Singapore there. And then, of course, in September, just to remind you what you've already blocked off in your calendar. You've got September 24th to 27th. We'll have Spring One Platform, in, uh, as as Nathan at Chef likes to remind me. Not in D.C., in Maryland. And uh, if you register for that now, you can use this code. You get $200 off the code S1P200 underscore Kote. You just go to the show notes. You can find the link. And uh, I don't know. You should go check that out. It's a great conference, lots of people talking about mortgage applications, and then they'll be talking about functionless stuff all over the map. People who are talking about how awesome technology is without any practical examples of it and more practical examples than you would ever want to see In uh, while you're in Maryland, stuff with crabs. So uh, we get, did we get some listener feedback this week?
1: We did. I just want to say uh, you were the first person to ever say "functionless." So if that becomes a thing, oh, did I? Nice. Uh, you get you get it all. You get the trademark uh, because that probably is the logical extension of it. Just yeah. functionless. functionless. Um, we did. Hey, but I do want to. I uh, think Colin from Scotland. He emailed me this week. He got a sticker. He says it's uh He always learns something f- from this show, and he enjoys the banter. And he tells us to keep up the excellent work. So we have uh, we have sufficiently uh, tricked him into. Uh, believing we know what we're talking about. So we appreciate him emailing us. And if you want a sticker, uh, they're always for free. So just email us at stickers at software talk. And then if you want to support us and uh, I don't think we've advertised a mile, you should buy a t-shirt and we've got a discount code. So go to Lincoln. the link Lincoln color still available. So get in there, buy one because they will be collector's items. You want hmm. this is, they will not forever. I'll just, I'll make that case to you. And That's then i right. uh, find I have a very simple recommendation this week from an old friend uh I have to uh, renew my passport here pretty soon because of course it's uh it's been ten years, which always goes by fast, so I was like, you know where should I get my picture taken because they actually are quite uh expensive are expensive for what you should get, I should say, and I am not willing I know you can take your own passport photo, but I'm not willing to nah. do that Love- Effort. So I a quick Google search uh, told us our friends at Costco. And it was just five dollars. I think it was five forty nine. Oh, of course, they'll they just give you two passport photos. They give you four, so you're getting double what you want. Uh, I don't know what you're gonna do <laughs> That's with the, the other Costco photos. way. Yeah, I don't. It's like <laughs> if you're like I don't. Really, I only need one. I thought you know. So I don't know what I'll do with the other three. Uh, but I felt like I was getting a better value for twelve dollars. I got like two at the Walgreens. Mm-hmm. 549. I got four at the Costco. It was pretty painless. You know, they'll do it like right there by the like there's a photo printing area. So you just get it and then, of course you can walk around and look at all the electronics and you know the crazy deals. Um so it took about 15 minutes, but of course when you're at Costco, you can't leave in 15 minutes. You got to like check everything out. So, worked out well. So, if you need passport photos, I recommend Costco.
0: You know, I I got I got two follow-on recommendations for that. One, I was looking up uh if you need a visa to go to Seoul, to go to Korea or Singapore, and and if you're if you're a U.S. person, you don't you just let and and all the various other countries they're just like no no unless you're gonna stay past ninety days, we got shit to do. Just let us stamp your passport and you can come in here. But you know I think I think maybe if we had a more international minded uh, president in office, I think by this point we would have lobbied for all these countries to uh, basically allow a Costco membership card to be a passport. I think, I think, cause I mean, that's, it's, I mean, it's, it's better than a Ralph's card. It clearly identifies who you are. And if you had the Costco visa, which also has your picture on the back, I mean, come on, that is clearly an identifier for who you are and, and a trusted source. You could just like, you could like stick the chip in there and then like enter in your uh, zip code. Done. You've verified who you are. They can track it. They could even charge you a little $5 entry fee, which would count towards your Costco membership. So we should uh, we should figure that out. Mm -hmm. Now. uh, Yeah. I mean, the other thing is I would like to for for our Costco uh, store managers out there, I think, you know, you're reminding me of that section. I used to really enjoy the electronic section. But now, I mean, of course, they've got the hard drives, the cell phones, the monitors, the printers and, um, you know, the jewelry. You got the TVs. You're going to have that. But they've they've had this this one the the variable row has not been so variable. They have this row that's always got those fucking security cameras on it, and then absurd Bluetooth speakers. And they they just need to vary it up, right? Like maybe maybe less security cameras and less Bluetooth speakers, and I throw something crazy in there, right? Like maybe every now and then a trackball, just like something that's uh, that's interesting, some gadget, and because uh, I mean really. Uh, who who needs that other shit you put the you can put the security cameras over with the uh the pins or something like that (laughs) you can just move them over there
1: that a natural synergy right there you know (laughs) some store layout so i mean i I think also yeah go ahead Well, I was going to just uh just one other thing on the, the passport stuff that I, I learned as well. So uh, I went to the site. So it's like, okay, what I got to do? I fill out an application and dress and stuff. So it gives you the option. I did not know this. So you can get a passport book, which is probably about what 99% of everyone has. Mm-hmm. Right? The little book. You go around, they stamp visas, you know, and get into countries. But did you know, Cote, they also have a passport card? Have you ever heard of such a thing?
0: I saw that recently. That works for uh, Canada and Mexico, right? maybe maybe right elsewhere.
1: so i saw this and i was like well i probably need that right cuz like why not <laughs> you know you just like you always need more but i'll tell you this a passport card is not valid for international air travel they only are acceptable <sighs> for land and sea border crossings things between the united states canada mexico bermuda and the caribbean so I, I I just I just want to know more, like, why this one, why that exists. set of use cases is like, because like, it's like as sailors or something, like, <laughs> they don't, they, I don't know. It's like, <laughs> well, who else is going to be like, I'm only traveling by boat or by car, and I can't be bothered to get a passport book, right? It's like why, like, but I, but I know there must be a reason this exists, so mm. I, I want someone to tell me that. So yeah, but it looks like just get a passport book. That's all you. Well, really need.
0: well, I think I think we can make this episode a solid ninety minutes. So let me just add one other small anecdote, and then I'll get to my recommendation, which is another after the store managers. I, I think they should move the uh the closed circuit tv things neck into the automotive section and the tools you know that row that's got like the the rags and the tools because i think that's where you're going to find the synergies i think people who want to buy uh video cameras for the house are highly likely to want to buy some socket wrenches and then the people who want to buy the uh the compressed air pumps are probably going to want to buy some video monitors so i think i think that's going to work out well for them they're miscategorized just because they're, they're computers and IoT stuff doesn't mean they need to belong in the computer department. Then they got that whole shelf space free. Just put crazy yeah. shit in there.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think we need to, I think we can go with the gut prediction there. I don't think we need the full Monte Carlo analysis of uh, of uh, related uh, transactions. I think. All right, all right. I think, I, I, no, I gave, I think that's I gave, good. I like I it. I gave
0: you the 3 a.m. memo version of that. That's that's no good. I like it. All right. So, my other recommendation for the, our British Airways listeners is like, You should look into TSA pre and just get with the fucking program, right? Like I I love that direct flight between Austin and, and London, but they're not enrolled in TSA pre. So every time I have this moment where I'm like, oh, wait, hold on. How did normal people do this again? And then I got to (laughs) like, I got to wait in the line and take my shoes off. And I got to like, if, if I've been sweating, I've got to show everyone that like deodorant is totally ineffective on me when I'm in like the scanner thing, what a disaster. So my recommendation this week, other than those bonus materials, uh, is, uh, I've had this for a while, but I was reminded of it It, is the, uh, it's, I don't know how you pronounce this, but it's the pores hyphen ELA pores, Ella international travel adapter, as I've called it thing. And what this is, is it's one of these, uh, these, these plug things that when you, uh, It has all of the different outlets you need for Europe, the UK, Australia, most of South Asia. I think it has China on there. And, of course, Australia. And Australia is the one that has an American plug. But for some inexplicable reason, they've they've bent it inwards. It's, it's, you know, Australian for plug. Uh, And so it's got... And then, of course, it goes to U.S. too, right? So it's like a, a universal adapter for everything. But it's a bit bulky. But what makes it special is it also has two... I think high powered USB ports on it. So you can just plug this thing into the wall, hook up your uh, your iPhone and your one other additional USB device, and then you can also plug in your power cord and it's just everything works wonderfully. It's 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 a good little device, doesn't weigh that much. It's uh it's kind of bulky. It'd be hard to fit into your pocket, but it's definitely worth getting that. And I think I have like uh two or three of those uh running around and they're uh, quite useful. Well, as always, This has been Software Defined Talk. You can find the show notes for this episode at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 135. We've got our Slack channel you can join. Also listed there, if you go to softwaredefinedtalk slash Slack, there's a .com in there somewhere, but you're smart. You can figure it out. And uh, I don't know. You can buy a t-shirt. You get 20% off. As always, mail stickers at uh, softwaredefinedtalk.com and Brandon will go to the post office and mail you a sticker. Uh, We haven't mailed one to space stations yet. That might be a little cross-prohibitive, but generally we'll mail them anywhere. And uh, as always, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.